0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640
1: Toronto. All right, welcome. It is the Disability Law Show. Good to have you along again this week, John Scholes and Tamara Gopi and partners, Sam Firu Tamarkin LLP, the most positively. Review disability law firm in the land from coast to coast to coast. You can reach out to Tamar and her team anytime. Extremely capable and ready to talk to you about uh, your concerns, whether you're dealing with an insurance company or been denied or been cut off. All the stuff we talk about on the show weekly here. You can do that. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address. By the way, if you go to simply disabilityrights.ca, cut that down to just a website. There's a media tab. And you can search for our TV show that we run for about thirty minutes every week. Similar, what do we do here? But uh, you know, there's cameras on our faces. That's how it works. And the uh, website built just for you. It is free. It's anonymous, and you can ask questions and get them answered. MyDisabilityQuestions.com. Just that simple. But here and now, we got a ton of content and a ton of stuff to discuss tomorrow, including a bunch of emails and questions coming through. So you're uh, you're opening uh, you're opening Salvo, my friend. What do you got today?
2: Thanks, John. I was speaking to someone yesterday, um, a woman who had reached out to us through our intake team and has set us up with a free consultation. And I thought it would be a good one to start off our show because I think it may resonate with our listeners. It's, uh, she's a single mom and she worked for one of the large municipalities in uh, the province uh, doing some budgeting and some project works and so on. She has a history of mental health issues, primarily anxiety for which her employer was aware and had actually accommodated her because there had been a prior period, I would say maybe eight years ago where she needed to be away from work as a result of her health issues. So the employer accommodated her and uh, and things were were okay, but she was struggling uh, after the onset of our uh, you know, much beloved, Sarcastically, COVID nineteen pandemic, and you know she'd been again uh, accommodated to allow her to work from home, and you know therefore keep her her she's a single parent she's got a a daughter keep her home keep herself home um, and try and manage the anxiety that you know no doubt was amplified by what was happening in the world at the time, and she tried to get it under control continued to work for some time but it just all became uh, quite a bit too much for her earlier last year, particularly with the shutdowns and homeschooling and everything else that most parents like myself have had to deal with. And she actually was diagnosed with depression. So although she had an ongoing history and management of anxiety, she had a non-set of new uh, diagnosis and condition, again, supported by her ongoing psychotherapist, family doctor, and now a specific diagnosis from a psychiatrist. So she uh, uses up a bunch of vacation time first, then I believe she uh, applied for and received EI sickness benefits. And then her employer said, look, um, your health is persisting. Obviously, you know, we recommend that you go and apply for long-term disability benefits under our group plan. So she goes ahead and does that. And after all that I've described, John, what do you think the insurance company did in a situation like this? Like they always do, right? Like they always do, literally in two sentences within maybe three weeks of her applying, they said there's simply not enough evidence that you're sufficiently disabled and therefore we are not approving your claim. They did very little to assess her situation I think she had one phone call she said to me with the uh, insurance company's adjuster to describe this. What I've described in a few minutes, obviously, it was a longer conversation with the insurance company with greater detail. And they were extremely dismissive of her claim and just denied it outright. And I, I, I swear to you, John, when I, when I started out the call with her, I said, I am scratching my head. I don't understand why you have not been approved for those of us who have not heard our show before. Long-term disability benefits are available to individuals who have a health issue that prevents them from working. It's rather simple, actually. The the test is total disability. Uh, It's a misnomer to some extent. But when you've got the medical support that you cannot work as a result of your health, full stop, you should be applying and being approved for long-term disability benefits. You know, part of that discussion with her was, you know, what do I do in a situation like this, tomorrow? You know, maybe they needed to see another report from my psychiatrist. Maybe they needed to see something else from the psychologist. You know what? I, I'm thinking of appealing. <laughs> and, and I said, look, of course you can appeal. Of course you can appeal. That's well within your right to do so. But let's be reminded of this. They were very dismissive of your claim out of the gates. They had all this information available to them. You had provided them a a thorough history, and the history was included in the medical information submitted to the insurance company. They did not bother doing any sort of medical review, and they just declined you out of the gates. I got to think that this is not going to be a successful process for you if you go down the road of trying to appeal. Because, as you and I know, John, there's nothing in the policy that talks about appeals. There's nothing in there that says okay you you can appeal you must appeal we, you know we must reply within 20 days nothing right. there's nothing in there this is just something that's conceived of by the insurance companies to try and keep you in their process to try and get you to continue to try and prove to them and you know pretty please I am so sick can you please just approve my disability benefits and I just I don't see that being a recipe for success when you're struggling with, anxiety and depression single parent like the profile john to me is just so compelling and persuasive um and so i really encourage her to to just think about you know can i help you i'd like to help you i'd like to start a legal claim and keep this insurance company honest about what they've done in your circumstances the medical information is there the support is there you shouldn't have to continue to struggle and fight let me do that fight for you. and that's what we're that that's our next step right now, John, in all honesty. And so, you know, if anyone's listening out there, please um, you know don't hesitate to contact us. We're happy to have a discussion with you. If you're not really sure what's happening, you know, let's let's unpack this. Uh, and if there is an opportunity to appeal and look, you know, very, very limited circumstances, what I suggested. Yeah, Normally, it would, you know, it would only be if there's some new medical information, new diagnosis, treatment, something that really the insurance company didn't have that perhaps would move the needle. But, you know, it's such a narrow situation. And what ends up happening for these people, John, is, you know, it takes months. It can take months. And insurance companies know this. They, they know that people are just going to get desperate. And either they're going to force themselves back into a work situation where they were already struggling or just simply give up. And not, you know, not access the funds until their health is in order, and they can actually get back to work or do something else. And so it's really, really unfortunate, because I can tell you, the insurance companies are certainly accepting the premiums on behalf of these group plans, and they're massive plans, particularly if you're working for a municipality like this individual was. And so you know, let's, let's not let them off the hook when we're dealing with situations that are so critical, uh, and so tied to our current day to day with the pandemic, and mental health, it's so closely tied together, john. And, uh, and anyway, look, hopefully, I'll be able to help her and and perhaps others who are listening.
1: You know, it's interesting. I mean, whenever we talked about these, I mean, kiss cases are different all the time, all your clients, they all have a, you know, whatever the the reason they come to you is, is different for everyone. So you know, you've got a You've got a pit of it every time you talk to a new client. But the one thing that almost seems universal with all of them is the cutoff and the denial and this this appeal that comes. And it's everyone gets it eventually. And it's just at that point, it's like rearranging deck chairs in the Titanic. It's going to get you nowhere, but people don't realize it. And until they talk to you or hear this show, right? They just figured, oh, it's an official thing. I got to appeal. It looks all official. It's a nice letterhead. This must be a government run thing, so on and so forth. Maybe this is the gold key that'll set me free. And it never does or rarely does anyway, right?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you're right. It is an official letter. So that is what actually she received, this this individual I'm referencing. And, and what everyone will receive typically is a letter with the insurance company's letterhead saying, look, we acknowledge we've received your disability claim. This is the test to qualify. This is why we're saying no. Uh, and, you know, here's how it's going to affect things. If you want to appeal, this is the time frame in which you should do so. You know, sometimes they'll tell you what they need. Sometimes they don't. uh, And they just at the back end of the letter, John, though, at the very, very end is when they say to you, but if you want to start a legal claim, (laughs) you've got two years from the date of this letter to start the legal claim. You know, it's human nature, John. No one's gonna to read to the end of the of the letter, right? Like by 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 the first two paragraphs, when you've been told no, it's very unlikely that someone's gonna keep reading to the end and say, wait a minute, there's an alternative option here. And I can tell you that's done by design. They don't want you to know that you have the option of starting a legal claim. Because and what's worse, I think, in this particular person's situation is that she's never been approved. She's been on this path for so long. And it's clear that if she could go back to work, she would, and she has not after months. And so now after all of this with the insurance company, she's losing more time and it's just taking away from her ability to focus and cope uh, on actually getting better and getting to a point where she can get back to work. And I think, you know, I think insurance companies underestimate that element of it. I think yeah. they take it, you know, very cynically um, and, and perhaps it's because of what they see But at the end of the day, I have yet to speak to a single client or consult who says to me, you know, I'm just going to sit back and take my disability check. John, people want to work. It's not that they want to be in this situation where they're sick and they can't. And I think going into it with that presumption is really, really difficult when you're dealing with an insurance company with so much cynicism. That's all. So it's tough.
1: And I know we gotta, we gotta do our first break here in a minute, but it's also, you know, I mean, they could put that at the beginning of the letter right at the top in bold, you know, if you want to start a legal claim, most people are because they don't understand how simple it is to deal with you guys. They're going to legal claim. No, that sounds like you know, a John Grisham book. I'm not getting into courtrooms and all this stuff. Forget that. I'm not even, I'm avoiding that at all costs. I'm just going to appeal. And again, you know, they don't realize because they don't listen to the show every week and haven't taught you how simple and how hands-off it really is for them. Right.
2: Exactly. And this is exactly what I was, what I was indicating to this person Mm -hmm. as well, is that let it be my problem. I want to deal with it. My team can deal with it. We will get the records. If they need records, we will advocate for you. You've done a great job so far, but Uh, At the end of the day, they've said no to you. They are not going to say no to me, at least not in the way that they've said no to her. And if they do, they're going to wreak the havoc of Tamar and the the ST law team uh, within the context of a legal claim. So there you have it.
1: Exactly. We'll take a, a short break and into more of your emails and questions. Lots on the way. one 855 821 to reach out to tomorrow uh, and our team anytime. And you can uh, email us anytime as well. Help at disabilityrights.ca. It's a disability law show. Lots more coming up. Hang on.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: All right. Welcome back. Disability Law Show. Great to have you uh, sticking around the show today. You're always going to learn lots every time you tune in and uh, you can reach out to Tamar and her team anytime. Partner, Sam Firu Tamarkin LLP, the most positively reviewed disability law firm in the land getting the compensation you deserve it is it is what you deserve exactly that it's it's all in the print it's not a lottery ticket it's not a windfall it just takes a, a little pursuing by Tamar and her team so let them do that and uh, get some satisfaction reach out anyway have a uh, lengthier conversation at uh, at your own pace one 855 821 help at disabilityrights.ca is the email address we are going there right now Tamar First one up today is uh, Marco. Marco says, hey, Tamar, Uh, my girlfriend used to work in a group home for adults with needs. It was a really tough job, and while she was helping one of the residents, she injured her back. She's been on and off work ever since for nearly four years now. Her doctors have said there's nothing more they can do to help her, and her limitations are probably permanent, even though she's only 37 years old. Up until recently, she was getting LTD benefits, but she's had to go through a few appeals over the years to make sure the benefits continue. This time around, though, I told her she shouldn't bother with another appeal, since the insurance company is insisting she can do another job at a sedentary level, working part-time. I listened to your show, and I'm wondering what you think about her situation. from Marco. Great,
2: great email. Thank you, Marco. And I really appreciate when the individuals reach out for uh, loved ones, family members, and in Marco's case, his girlfriend. Here's what I think about the situation, Marco. And if you're listening out there, you're going to hear the first part of our show saying appeals. Uh, I'm shaking my head. I'm shaking my head. Uh, But more to the point of what Marco describes, I want to unpack this a little bit. You know, it sounds like his girlfriend was uh, deemed totally disabled for some time actually, And I suspect if he says over the years, that that means that not only was she approved and paid for what's called the own occupation period, but she was likely approved and paid beyond that. Actually, now that I look at this again, he says she's been on claim nearly for four years now. So for those who might be listening, the disability policies are set up to have one test to qualify for the first two years of your claim and another test to qualify for two years in a day, until you potentially turn 65. At least that's for most disability claims and policies. So when the insurance company gets to that two-year mark or just before, they will make an assessment as to whether or not your health prevents you from working at any occupation. So in Marco's girlfriend's case, it's no longer whether or not she could work in the group home with the adults with special needs. Now it's a question of there's something else that she can do, anything in the world, that would basically roughly pay her what her ltd benefit is which as we know is typically around two-thirds of what you were making before while you were working so the insurance company will make that assessment they do that in a, a number of different ways primarily they will do a transferable skills analysis they will look to see what your education training and experience is, and they will assess based on that information and what ongoing restrictions and limitations you have from a health perspective. And they'll bring that together and make an assessment as to whether or not you can do some other job. It sounds to me like that analysis was already done Mm. at some point, it should have at some point. And then now they're probably looking at her profile. They're looking at her age, she's 37 and thinking, okay, we may have her on claim for a very long time. So it could be that she's dealing with a new adjuster. Sometimes that happens. It could be that perhaps just with the length of time, they're just going to assume that simply with ongoing treatment, she should just miraculously be better and go off and do a different job. None of that really holds a lot of water if there's medical support that her ongoing health issues are still ongoing. Perhaps they're permanent if they've in fact persisted after four years. So when I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, Maybe the insurance company doesn't get it, but at the end of the day, they may not be saying it openly and honestly to Marco's girlfriend that, look, we just don't want to pay her for the next 30 years, right? (laughs) It, It could just be as simple as that. So we're going to have find a reason to cut off the claim. It's unfortunate and they will be exposed. I can tell you a court's not going to look at it fondly in a situation like that, unless they have solid basis to do so. Why is that? Well, the courts have stated very clearly that the onus, the responsibilities on the insurance company to show in the any occupation phase, that in fact, there is another job that you can do. In this case, they're saying to Mark Earl's girlfriend, look, you should be able to work at a sedentary level. What does that mean? Well, she should be able to do a sitting down job, essentially, John, uh, perhaps in an office environment or answering phones or something to that effect. And, they're saying you, you only need to do it at a part-time level in order to basically meet our test. So that tells me that they're looking at that two-thirds of earnings, and that threshold is likely met if she's not working full-time hours. So it's tough. No doubt. It's tough because she's got a physical limitation. She was doing a physical job. You can understand why the insurance company approved and paid, but they also approved past that two-year mark. And so now the onus is on them. If, if it ever were to see the light of day of court, to justify their position as to why they agreed that she was totally disabled from any occupation for a number of years before they pulled the plug and cut off her claim. So if I'm Marco and his girlfriend, yes, I would definitely pursue this by way of a legal claim. And I can tell you the first next step after I get retained, John, is I request the claims file. I want to see exactly what the insurance company has in their file, that justifies having cut off her claim in a situation like this? After everything I've described, by the way, after years of having her own claim and having made this assessment, why now? So that's what I would like to look at and then obviously support that as a means to start the legal claim and put you know, the feet to the fire to the insurance company to talk about what makes sense here in a situation like this. Is it reasonable what they've said to her that she can in fact go back and do a part-time level, sedentary level type job?
1: So, so you, you you mentioned seeing the the file and all the contents of it. I mean, once you start a legal claim, do they not have to give that to you if requested? And number two, if Marco or his girlfriend simply asked for it themselves, the chances of them getting even parts of it are, are, are slim and none, no?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You right. know, it, it's interesting. So we we need an authorization, obviously, on behalf of our clients to actually request the file and get sure. a copy of the file. Yep. Uh, and so we do that and, and we know where to send that and usually are pretty good at getting it. Uh, But but you're right, John, I have had clients who have tried to get a copy of their file themselves and have gotten barrier after barrier from the insurance company because they don't want you to see what's in there, which is honestly, it's very odd to me. You know, there are times even where my clients will say to me, I know my doctor sent a report to the insurance company. The insurance company doesn't want to share the copy of the report with me. And, And, you know, I think it's probably because of cost. I really do, which is silly. But you know even when we request the claims file from for our clients they will charge us 40 50 bucks for a copy of the file and we're happy to pay it of course that forms part of our disbursements yeah. but it's sort of interesting these barriers that they'd like to put up so they can insulate themselves from review which is a really really troubling practice in my mind uh, but yes we are very effective in getting a copy of that file and You know, I think it's also when you're looking at it from a disability law perspective, I can also quickly take a look, see what's missing, see the underpinnings of the decision and know, look, this is where I'm going to attack them. This is the way I'm going to frame up the legal claim and this is how I'm going to pursue and advocate on behalf of my client and so. It's hard to articulate for our listeners what exactly I'm looking for, Um, but even in what I've described, you want to make sure that the insurance company has done a proper analysis. And when they haven't, that's really what opens the door to a whole whack of trouble from the courts and, and from us lawyers who pursue these claims for our clients.
1: Can a disability insurance company, or I guess for that matter, private investigator legally get access to stuff like text messages, uh, emails, maybe even phone uh, phone records in a lawsuit? Can they do that?
2: That's a good question, John. I mean, not not an irregular course type thing. So I you know typically if you're if you're on claim with an insurance company, yes, there could be the possibility that you know the insurance company is going to hire someone to poke around. And so what does that look like? well if you've got social media presence for example and that media presence is public it's open to anyone to look at and access then by all means you know there's nothing uh, untoward or improper for a private investigator or insurance company to sort of google you or look on your twitter or whatever if it's if it's a it's a it's a public account having said that if it's private then no they're not going to have ready access to that and even in the context of a legal claim they're not going to have ready access to that. The, the way that it works in the context of a legal claim, John, is that everything that we exchange in terms of information between us and our client and the insurance companies all governed by the principle of relevance. Mm. The, the, the rules that, that govern these legal claims have set out that if it's relevant to the legal claim, then it's a document or information that should be shared. And I'm just scratching my head. Why would text messages or emails... Uh, let's leave emails aside for a moment, but text sure, messages sure. and phone records, I have a hard time understanding how that would be relevant to a disability claim. Um, you know, look, we've, we've had, we have cases at our firm that deal with motor vehicle accident claims, John, and sometimes there's questions around, you know, with someone texting while they were driving when they were involved in a motor vehicle accident. Okay. Then I could see it's relevant and something that maybe should form part of the claim and, and the discussion around who's at fault for a motor vehicle accident. I don't see that same relevance for a disability claim. And so I would resist certainly an insurance company who's suggesting that uh, phone records would be relevant unless there's some basis for that. Emails though, are something a little bit different. Okay. In other words, let's think of a scenario. Even if we think back to Marco's email, if his girlfriend's been emailing back and forth with the adjuster and, and the adjuster has asked improper questions or perhaps has been improperly difficult or harassing or not comprehensive in certain things, what have you, then emails in that situation actually are quite relevant. And I certainly want to make that part of the record in the legal claim so that I can use that as leverage to the insurance company to say, look, I think this is potentially a claim for damages. I don't think you operated in good faith with my client. And I think a court's going to agree with me. In a situation like that, you know, it's not that the private investigator is going to get the email, but it's certainly something that I would consider facilitating and providing uh, on a relevance basis in the context of a legal claim. So let's backtrack. If you're on claim and you're just on a regular disability claim, no, the insurance company does not have a, a fettered right to either your text messages, emails, or phone records. And even in the context of a legal claim, your lawyer will navigate on the basis of relevance, what's important and relevant right. to produce. Unless, unless it's public social media, there's going to be no access to that kind of information in the context of a disability claim.
1: It's interesting too, but it doesn't, it doesn't, having said all that, it's not going to stop them from at least trying. I mean, even going around you guys, or even if you're not involved, they're going to still try, you know,
2: they will. And So this is why I think it's important to have just a general awareness mm-hmm. that, that Privacy does matter. And I think that if you're going to take on the disability insurer or or allow us to help you to take on the disability insurer, that you just exercise a reasonable degree of caution when it comes to social media. This is what the advice I give to all my clients, John, is that, look, you know, things can be taken out of context and you're better off not having to have that debate or someone trying to probe if you're not putting yourself out there with either pictures or videos or other things that really may take away from the profile of a disabled claimant, um, you know, it's unfair. I think those interpretations are not fair. And I've, I've argued with disability insurers on it all the time. Uh, but at the end of the day, you do want to sort of protect yourself because they, they may try most certainly. And if it's as easy as Googling you and finding that information, then for sure, they're going to have that in their file. And it may unfairly inform their decision as to what they're going to do with your claim.
1: And with that, we'll take a short pause, get back into an email. Duncan, thank you so much. You are up next. We'll stand by. In the meantime, one 821 5900 to reach out to Tamar and the team. And the email address we use is help at disabilityrights.ca. More coming up. The Disability Law Show continues. Hang on.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome back, Disability
1: Law Show. Great to have you following along the show today, reaching out anytime you can do so. 1-855-821-5900. Email address we always go to is help at disabilityrights.ca. And if you have uh, another place or another time you want to ask a question, you can go to mydisabilityquestions.com. That's a free anonymous website built just for you to do exactly that. Lay questions out for Tamar and the rest of the team at uh, Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP. They will uh, they'll get to them. Also searchable, right? So maybe a question similar to yours has been punched in before. It'll save you a few minutes. If not, leave it there and it will get answered. Again, mydisabilityquestions.com. Moving on to Duncan's email This promised. Says, hello, guys. I've been on LTD for over two years, and last month, my insurance company labeled me totally disabled. They recently informed me that I need to apply for CPPD, uh, Canada Pension Plan, CPP disability. I'm not sure why I have to do that, but my question is, can the insurance company cut me off if CPPD rejects my application? Would a disability lawyer be able to help me if this happens? Thank you very much.
2: Thank you very much, Duncan. Mm -hmm. Really good questions, John. The the specific question is, can the insurance company cut me off if I'm rejected for CPP disability? Short answer, no, no, they they cannot. So the test to qualify for long-term disability benefits, as I talked about at the top of the show, is unique to the disability policy. It says, are you totally disabled from doing the essential duties of your job or any job, occupation or any occupation? depending on where you're at in the policy based on your health conditions. And those health conditions can be physical. They can be mental health. They can be some combination of the two, but at the end of the day, if you have that medical support that you've got limitations preventing you from working, then you should be qualifying and continuing to be approved for your disability benefits. The test to qualify for CPP disability on the other hand is a little bit different. The test is, Do you have a severe and prolonged disability? Excuse me. And so you can see just even in the words that I describe, it it seems like a tougher test to meet in some respects. Right. And so what I always advise people is look, if you've been on claim for for long-term disability for even a year or more, it it makes a lot of sense to consider a CPP disability application for a number of reasons. First and foremost, Because it's actually from an evidence perspective, in the hands of a lawyer like me, really helpful leverage to say to the insurance company, if they do cut Duncan off, that hang on, he's been CPP approved. The government has said he's got a severe and prolonged disability. It doesn't make sense that he doesn't qualify under your test of total disability, which arguably is a little bit lower to meet. the government's test. So from an evidence perspective, I think it really, really is helpful. But more practically, John, it gives individuals access to another source of income while they are fighting the disability insurer for benefits. So CPP disability, yes, it can take some time to apply and get approved. More paperwork, which I know my clients really are fed up with by the time they come to us. But At the end of the day I I don't discourage individuals from applying because it's yet another uh, group of evidence medical support that the person cannot work and you know it can take some time but if approved you know usually on average people get a thousand to eleven hundred dollars a month which yes it's it's not as much as potentially most long-term disability uh, benefit amounts but still is something and like I said, the, tests, you know, the test perspective, I think, makes it really, really helpful. The thing is, though, most insurance companies like to say to, to claimants, you must apply. Your right. policy says that you have to apply. John, it doesn't actually say that. It doesn't actually say that you have to apply it. It sort of uses different words that say, if you're eligible for the benefit, we're going to get a credit for it against what we're paying you for long-term disability benefits. So in this simple example, if you're getting LTD of $3,000 a month, and then you get approved for CPP for a thousand dollars a month, then all of a sudden you're only going to get the net, the difference, the $2,000 a month going forward, right. From the insurance company. Um, And so you know, I think that that doesn't really get explained very clearly by the insurers to individuals, uh, and instead it's just they feel this pressure that they have to apply. Um, don't feel that pressure necessarily. It's not necessarily a requirement. Uh, most policies don't, don't frame it up that way but I don't see a lot of downside to it. So I would encourage most people to apply because look, you know, on the one hand, if you get rejected, the insurance company doesn't get the credit. On the other hand, if you are approved, then at least it allows you some additional income support. And I think it makes it that much tougher to to allow the insurance company to justify cutting you off after you've been CPP approved.
1: And there's also the fact that, as, as you mentioned, that you decide to, you know, look at this letter and say, eh, you know what? No, I'm not going to do it. Forget about it. But then the insurance company says, okay, we'll just assume this is the amount you would have received from CPP and we're going to deduct it anyway.
2: Exactly, John. The fact that the policy allows them to estimate an amount and deduct it anyway, that's the part that I don't like. You know, I don't like the idea that they can do that and they will do that. And they use that as the basis to say, therefore, you must apply, right? It's not actually that way. But Knowing that the insurance company can apply a deduction without you having that benefit in hand, you know, you might as well apply. There's no downside in my mind to doing it. I mean, the one thing I guess, you know, one thing that we do talk about in our group a little bit is the taxability. Uh, So I should touch on that before our next break. and, And it's to say this, CPP disability benefits are taxable. And there are a whole whack of long-term disability benefits and policies that are non-taxable. So again, going back to my simple example of if you're getting, you know, LTD benefits of $3,000 a month that are non-taxable, and then you get CPP approved of $1,000 a month that's going to be reduced by the taxability so all of a sudden your take home is going to be you know just over, just under 3000 actually because the cpp amount will be taxed it's frustrating it's frustrating i understand that for most claimants but you can also apply for what's called the disability tax credit which can lessen that impact So it won't necessarily be 100%, but it also allows you, like I said, to have the the buffer of the CPP disability benefit, deal with the taxability, get the tax credit, and prevent the insurance company from willy-nilly just adjusting and reducing your benefit just because they think that you should be getting the CPP disability.
1: Suffice it to say, it's nuanced, which is a part of the reason why you want to reach out to Tamar to discover things you would not realize on your own, and it could benefit you greatly. How do you do that? one 855 821 help at disabilityrights.ca, and as I mentioned, mydisabilityquestions.com. Is a fantastic resource as well. We'll take a short break and get back uh, get back into more disability law. Show continues. Stand by.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio six forty Toronto.
1: Welcome back. This is the Disability Law Show. If you join us every week, you've learned lots. If this is your first time, stick around uh, following shows. You're always going to learn something could be useful to you or a colleague or a family member going forward. That is why we've been doing it for, uh, for so many years. Tamara Gopin is your partner, Sam Firu Tamarkin LLP to reach out to. Tamara and her team, very capable, willing just to have a chat and educate you a little more your due diligence when it comes to disability law and dealing with an insurance company and being cut off and asked to appeal and all the things we talk about on the show every week how do you do it 1-855-821-5900 help at disability rights.ca another email coming up here in just a minute but you know, it's something, an interesting question is, is it, I guess, typical is the word for the insurance company to ask about your salary, you know, and how long you've worked for your employer when you apply for those uh, disability benefits, And can they do it?
2: They can, uh, they can, and they will, John, because the way that long-term disability benefits work is that it's typically a percentage of what you were earning right before you became unwell and needed to take a leave of absence. And so they need to confirm what job you were doing and also how yeah, what you were earning. Um, to give a really, to put a real fine point on it, think of a situation where you might have an employee who is working hourly, uh, perhaps in a sort of a warehouse type setting and the hours fluctuate that he's working. So perhaps, you know, he's earning a little bit more one week and a little bit less the next week and so on and so forth. And so it's important that, that you, know, you understand clearly how the policy and the insurance company is calculating your long-term disability benefit. And you do want to make sure that you or your employer or both are providing accurate information of the job that you were doing. What were your occupational duties? Were you being accommodated for a period of time before you stopped working? What did that look like? Were you accommodated in terms of duties, in terms of hours or both? And so if the month or two before you were earning a little less by virtue of the fact that your health was declining, then there could be an argument to the insurance company that they need to use uh, an average uh, amount of what your earnings were, for example, in the example that I gave when you've got an hourly employee. It's a lot less complicated when you're salaried, of course. But with hourly, I see a lot of individuals also having overtime payments and top-up payments and, you know, shift bonuses and this sort of thing. The disability insurer will not take those elements typically into consideration. The policy will have a very clear definition of what earnings are and how they calculate the disability benefit. And usually it's just base salary or base earnings without all of the extras. So, you know... It's an interesting one because I've actually got one that's coming up for mediation, John, um, you know, in a couple of days and same example, warehouse type employee, hourly type employee. And like I said, his health was declining, so he was doing less hours. And so I'm actually challenging the disability insurer on the reduction in the LTD benefit based on reduced earnings. And the difference is $1,200 a month, John. Yeah. It's significant. It's significant. So You know, look, this is an, it's an unusual situation. I wouldn't say it comes up for most people. I think most people, when they apply for long-term disability benefits, they will provide a form. Uh, It's usually called an employee statement or, you know, a, a plan member statement. And in that statement, they will assert, this is my job. These are my actual occupational duties. These were my earnings. And similarly, your employer is going to provide a similar form. And they too will confirm how long you've worked for the company and what your earnings were and what you're insured for. So typically there isn't a huge disconnect because those initial forms will confirm that information. Uh, But sometimes I find that the insurance company will do a little bit more probing if the policy has some different language or different groups of individuals who are covered under the same policy to figure out what your disability benefit will be if you are approved.
1: I want to get into uh, Trudy's email here with the time we have left. Trudy says, I have been on LTD for two years with PTSD and major depressive disorder due to workplace bullying and harassment. All of my medical ra- records show that I have PTSD and severe anxiety. My insurance companies said they would directly reach out to my treatment providers for supporting medical information to extend my benefits into the any occupation period. I'm currently under the care of a psychiatrist, a counselor, as well as my GP, and several specialists due to hair loss and severe skin problem issues triggered by my severe stress and anxiety. All the requested doctor's reports were submitted and confirm I am not medically able to return to work in any occupation. When I first applied, I had to go for an IME in February of 2020 to qualify for acceptance. Now my insurer says I need to have a transferable skills analysis. Do they have the right to ask me for this? Is the insurance company, this, uh, the insurance company has been sent my reports on a quarterly basis. I do not know my rights as far as this goes. Are the multiple specialist reports not evidence enough at this time? I continue to receive treatment from all these professionals. Do they really have the right to disregard these reports?
2: Really good email, Trudy. Thank you for reaching out. And uh, the, the short answer is no, they, they don't have the right to disregard what your own medical. Uh, team is saying about your ongoing health issues you know john she describes significant mental health conditions ptsd and anxiety she also describes hair loss and severe skin problems i mean these are both physical and mental health components to a claim like this it's not straightforward at least from the adjuster's perspective, because probably they don't have any training, John, for you know how to deal with people with PTSD, how to analyze these kinds of claims. So look, I'm not surprised that they've requested uh, records, periodic records from her doctors. I'm actually glad that they've done that because it's clear that Trudy's doctors are supportive, that she cannot work. I think what's concerning me a little more is how regularly they've asked for it. So they're they're asking for her to provide updates on a quarterly basis. Mm, That seems a little bit aggressive. And I think it's because she's probably nearing that, you know, change of definition. She makes reference to it. She also says to us that, you know, um, she will be undergoing a transferable skills analysis. Do I have to do that? So again, going back to what I was talking about at the top of the show The insurance company has to do their due diligence when the test changes to continue to qualify for benefits. So when it now becomes a question of whether or not Trudy can do any other occupation, they do need up-to-date medical information from her own treating doctors on what her ongoing issues are, health issues, and they will need to evaluate, look, could she do another job, another occupation, given what her education, training, and experience is? And on that basis, then um, make a decision on whether or not she is totally disabled. And they do not have the right to disregard these reports and that information. And if they land on the wrong side of it, John, then you know I hope her next phone call is to us and we can help and challenge the insurance company. Because I can tell you, I've looked at these TSAs so many times, and oftentimes the underpinnings are not correct. The assumptions are not correct. And they don't take into consideration all of the health issues that Trudy has just described to us. So if this sounds like you, please don't hesitate to give us a call. Let's have a chat.
1: Trudy, appreciate that final email. And thank you for your time for joining us today as well. We'll leave it from there for, uh, for next time. Always more to talk about and always ways for you to reach out to possibly to get on the next show as well. Email address we use, help at disabilityrights.ca, the website, mydisabilityquestions.com, and the good old-fashioned phone number. How about that? one 855 821 5900 and we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law show.
0: The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Global News Radio 640 Toronto.